In a world where a man loves movies and loves lists and keeps a list of his 100 favorite movies for over 30 years, what if he made his wife watch those movies in order? And what if he made her talk about it on a podcast? Would she like them? Would she hate them? Can this marriage possibly survive this podcast? Find out what will happen in a world called Craig's List. Do you know who I am, Father? I was once the most famous podcaster in all of America. Everyone knew my tunes. Don't you remember In a World? No? Not not ringing a bell? Uh, <laughs> what about uh, The List is... What is it? The List is... The, the List is good. The List is great. <laughs> Fuck. The List is... What are you talking about? The, the quote at the end of the thing. <laughs> I don't even know the own quote from Schindler's List. You totally bombed this so hard. <laughs> what about the list is life? You know, at the end of the podcast, you don't listen that far? Okay. Well, what about this little tune? She's feeling her oats and Craig's... No, that wasn't me. That was Carla. Yes. Carla Amadeus Kakowski. My nemesis. Oh, now everyone knows her famous quotes and her laugh. Oh, that demonic laugh of hers, mocking my taste in movies. That wasn't Carla's laugh. That was God's laugh, mocking me through that obscene giggle. But why would God choose a profane child like Carla to be his instrument? Oh, that Why? was so good. <laughs> that was like the best opener you've had in a while. Oh, really? But I hope that nobody is listening to this podcast for the first time because they will be <laughs> utterly confused. <laughs> I think it's pretty clear that in the future, that's me as an old man at an insane asylum. Yeah. Uh, tormented by the fact that despite the podcast being called Craigslist, people only ever remember Carla from it. Oh. Oh, that's not true. Yeah, and her raw talent for movie podcasting that only that <laughs> she didn't even appreciate her own talent. Only I recognized it. Put her on the podcast. The one time that I read any of our reviews, I read a review where the woman said that I laughed like the Pillsbury <laughs> Dewboy. Dewboy? <laughs> the Pillsbury Dewboy. <laughs> that's that and giant I, lump of shit that uh, I think she said evil an evil Pillsbury Doughboy. Oh, and I God. was like, I'm I'm never reading these ever again, and I haven't. I think that no, was never a couple of years ago I read that. Never read the reviews. <laughs> <laughs> Lesson number one about being even the uh, most mediocre type of public figure. Hey. <laughs> I speak for all mediocrities, Carla. For all mediocrities. Speak for yourself. Uh, hi, Craig's listeners. Uh, we are up to number 25 on Craig's list. Welcome to episode 76. We're getting into the final quarter. Thank God. Carla asked me the other day, uh, how much longer we had. And 
<laughs> I feel like I'm getting done. I'm I'm really at the end here. And right now our schedule allows for an episode about every other week. So not every week. So she's like, we're almost done, right? And I'm like, well, yeah, it depends whether we put them out every week or every other week. She's like, how long will it take if we put them out every other week? And I'm like, well, 25 movies, so 50 weeks. It's about a year. <laughs> so I think we're going to have to go back to once a week again. <laughs> Just to power through? Yeah, yeah. we're going to have to power through. Okay. We're I g- really do feel exhaustion. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, Carla, this week you watched a two-hour and 40-minute movie. Wow. Good for me. Good. I watched the whole thing this week. You were in the room while the whole thing played. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> watch. We can talk about the definitions of watch, but you were definitely... I can tell you everything that happened in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I absorbed it. Okay. I'm, we may have you do a synopsis uh, then okay. of, uh, of the movie. Um, today's movie is a 1984 flick directed by Milos Forman, uh, starring F. Mary Abraham and Tom Hulse and written, uh, adapted from his stage play by Peter Schaffer. And, uh, this movie is called Amadeus. It won, I believe, nine Academy Awards wow. out of 11 nominations, including Best Picture, Director, Actor, and Adapted Screenplay. It won Best Actor? It did win Best Actor. Tom Hulse won Best Actor. F. Murray Abraham won Best Actor. Well, duh. That guy is a more famous guy. Well, he was pretty obscure at the time. Was he? Yeah, nobody knew who he was. He, I mean, he probably is one of the least known people at the time of the award to have won an Academy Award. Good for him. And he was head-to-head against his co-star, Tom Hulse. And so Ooh. that's unusual sometimes when you have co-stars a lot of time in the same category. They split the vote. Uh, but I guess, uh, 1984, it was overwhelmingly F. He's in the Americans, right? F? No. Uh, no, you're thinking of, uh, Frank Langell. Oh, I confused him. You're thinking of Homeland. Our guest is oh. signaling. Right, right, right. <laughs> Somehow right. I was able to interpret her hand signals oh, as yeah, meaning we bring her in. Homeland. We're talking a lot. Okay, we are talking a lot. And we are excited to have our guest today. I believe this is her favorite film? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, I go back and forth between this and Godfather, but yeah. Uh, you know her if you're a Thrilling Adventure fan as uh, the violin player in uh, the Andy Paley Orchestra. Uh, she is also a concert violinist as well. And please welcome Rebecca Ward. Hi, guys. <laughs> I am so excited to be here. I have been a <laughs> long-time listener. <laughs> I think John it's and true. I were just saying, are you guys just hitting two years? Yeah. Because I think we listened to the first episodes as we drove to Big Bear two years ago for Labor Day. Wow. So that, yeah. <laughs> that feels right. Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. I hope that we can always uh, mark significant anniversaries <laughs> in your life you know, <laughs> as this podcast lasts for years and years. Or right, six Carla? months. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Becky, uh, Tell me about Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, you just opened a can of worms you are going to regret, my friend. Uh-huh. Mozart was born in 1756 and died in 1791. <laughs> Shall we start there? Sure. Uh, so he only lived to be 35. 35. He was 35 when he died. Wow. And his, uh, he was buried in a pauper's grave, but his he has a memorial tombstone in Vienna in um there are lots of famous composers buried in Vienna and he has his grave marker, which is not actually his body. Cause you know, that's lost to the ages. Uh, 
is a pillar that has been knocked off to represent the unfinished life. And I mean, the outpouring of work in that 35 years is extraordinary. Wow. When uh, he started composing, how young? He was four. Well, and that's dicey. Sure. I mean, he had the original <laughs> stage father. Leopold yes. was, he was a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there is, it is questionable what Mozart wrote and what Leopold had a large hand in. Right. But even at that, he was, it was incredible promise. He was concertizing and, and performing very early. Whether or not, you know, the very early four and five year old sonatas <laughs> are actually Mozart is, is, you know. Are they ever performed these days? Nah. <laughs> um, I haven't. Not that I'm aware of. They are curiosities more than, yeah. but they certainly show great promise and they are certainly emblematic of the classical period. What Which is, is d- sorry, sorry, yes. different, as opposed to thinking of classical music as a whole, there's the Baroque period and the classical period and the Romantic period, and Mozart is f- firmly steeped in the classical period. He is what we think of as the classical period. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So, uh... I just learned so much. <laughs> I'm so boring, right? No, I, you're great. regretting this already. No, I'm the I love worst. it. We never have this much actual factual information <laughs> this early in, in. On top of the fact that when we do, it's usually proven wrong later. Yes. <laughs> so you're great. You're to, so great far, job. nothing has been Googled uh, yeah. <laughs> mid-sentence. As- <laughs> <laughs> it really can be. Fact check me. I'm going to get something wrong. <laughs> well, you're a musician yourself. Yeah. And you've studied music. And so how did Mozart play into that as a music student for you? Well, I think, I mean, it, this comes down to when I first saw the film because it was really important in my life. It, uh, I started playing when I was four. When I was... Just like Wolfie. <laughs> Uh, just like <laughs> my parents were much kinder. Uh, I I don't remember the very first time I saw the movie. What I do remember is getting a miserable case of the chicken pox when I was seven years old, and a miserable enough case that I was out of school for a solid two weeks. Oh. And during that two weeks, I convalesced during the day at my grandmother's house, and she had the movie on VHS. And I, at seven years old, watched it twice a day, every day for two solid weeks. Um, I had every line memorized and I still do. Uh, I had uh, every piece of music I could hum and sing. I was so obsessed. I, My mom bought me a sweatshirt from the Mostly Mozart Festival, which had the first few bars of La Chie de Rem Lomano from Don Giovanni printed on it and i mean i wore that thing into the ground wow. um and so your your amadeus was my dirty dancing <laughs> look i love dirty dancing too <laughs> do not get me wrong but yeah i mean i wow. and you know now i sit here three decades more than seven <laughs> and, and and then some uh and and I've played this music and I've studied this music and most of the music that's represented in the film I've, I've played and performed professionally. And that's, you know, it's, it's the best thing. It's been a part of my life, my whole life. And he's, he, he was, he, Mozart represented the first goals that I had to get good enough to be able to do this. I had to be good enough to be able to play these concertos. I had to be good enough. I had to practice hard enough to get to play these pieces. And I, I absolutely credit Amadeus with that. It was wow. 
transformative. Now, this is kind of a common movie genre, which is the biopic of a great man. Always a man, right? Sometimes a great woman, but, you know, usually a, uh, a great historical figure. And it's, it's, some are better than others. Some are complete failures. Some are great movies, but it's, it's always hard to accurately depict genius yeah. in whatever chosen art you have, uh, on film. Uh, and I think this movie does it in a really interesting way by having Amadeus, uh, not quite the main character, Salieri, uh, is really, uh, our surrogate mm-hmm. on screen. He's really the protagonist of the movie and the villain <laughs> kind of at the same time. He's so complicated. He's not bad. Yeah. He's just tortured and jealous. It's just, <laughs> he is what he is. And, oh, yeah. Uh, but I think by having, uh, Salieri at times kind of explain to us through, through monologue or just by his reactions sure. to things, uh, what was great about Mozart, I, as somebody who knows very little about classical music, feel like I walk away from this movie feeling like I kind of understand his genius yeah, absolutely. a bit. Yeah. He, that, it, it does a great job of that. Like he explains it. I mean, in that famous speech, right? Mm-hmm. He explains, why it works and and when he's flipping through the the portfolio that Stanzi's brought him you know the idea that there aren't any copies that these are first drafts right that just straight from his mind perfect yeah it remind me a bit of Love and Mercy, the Brian Wilson biopic. We were just talking about that the other night, and I've never seen it. But it's yeah. pretty good. It's uh, he's played it. as a middle aged man by John Cusack, I'll and then I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> and then the young Brian Wilson is played by Paul Dano, uh, and that's kind of like during the the Good Vibrations, Pet Sounds mm-hmm. era. But I think it's similar, where like he was just hearing this music in his head. And then told people how he wanted it played, you know, exactly the way that it already existed in his head. Brian Wilson is famously another genius. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he gets – absolutely. And so Mozart is kind of depicted like a rock star in this movie, uh-huh. kind of. You know, the the decadent way that he's living. Down you know. to the syphilis. I mean, he is <laughs> – Right down to the syphilis. <laughs> Uh, but as somebody who's kind of a classical music neophyte, what does separate him from other composers? In terms of his genius or his work output? Uh, his genius. That's a great question. I, I think, again, it is the limited amount of time he had to do what he did. Um, and, and the, the promise he showed from such a young age, the musically iodetic memory that is sort of, you know, well documented. And then he took the classical period and perfected it. He took, I mean, Haydn, it, it would be, I can, I can hear colleagues in my, the back of my head screaming at me if I, if I put Mozart ahead of Haydn and I'm really not doing that. Haydn just had a very different career, but it, he encapsulated what musical effervescence is. I was coaching a chamber group last year and we were playing uh, Mozart's Eine kleine Nachtmusik, which is the piece that... Right, the one yeah. the priest recognizes, right? And he... <clears throat> and I was, I was teaching it to 13-year-olds and they were... They were captivated and we played the first movement and the last movement and we... And I said, you know, you're far too young to really understand this, but what you're playing is musical champagne. Um, but at the same time... The first piece, the piece that opens the movie is the 25th symphony. And that's that, 
when you when they open the door and Salieri's bleeding all over the carpet after the you know funny scene with the cream puffs, there it's that pa 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 and that's called Sturm und Drang, and Sturm und Drang means storm and drive, and it is this big part of the classical period. It is the dark side of the classical period. You know, everything else sounds filigreed and lacy and beautiful, and it and and that is just you know like that's the 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 metal of the of the classical period and then as soon as they go i mean and it's you know the movie is clearly edited to music because as they you know as they go by the ballroom scene it turns on its ear it turns on a dime and that is just you know quintessentially effervescent it's it's perfect and and it he he writes operas that change what opera is. He so removing his story or the myth of him as like a, a, a genius, um, his music when compared with other music at the time is still more um, memorable. Yeah, okay. yeah. I mean, and the fact that we still revere and play it—that it's never fallen out of the canon, mm-hmm. that we've never stopped doing it. Uh, I mean, I think. Figaro has been in some opera companies rotation, you know, largely from the time it was written and premiered on. It didn't do well that night, but it, it was, you know, other opera companies picked it up. He was beloved. You know, he was bad with money and, you know, bad with himself. But Don Giovanni is incredibly important. The abduction from Seraglio is, is important. Cosi Fantuti, the, I mean, there, and Magic Flute. Magic Flute is, uh, we were just, last year, there were, um, at LACMA, John and I went to go see the Chagall exhibit, where it was all of the costumes Chagall had created for this stage, and the Magic Flute Chagall costumes are, oh my god, they're amazing. Cool. You know, I mean, it's, it affects other artists, right? Yeah. It's, yeah, I, I mean, one kind of j- subgenre of the great man biopic is the genius unappreciated in his time sure. pick. Uh, and obviously, I mean, Mozart was renowned enough to yeah. perform for the emperor and right. be a court composer and, uh, and have all these things produced. And have the opera buffa that's, uh, that's beloved by the people, right? Like he, there, there were the right. reviews that sort of, you know, mashed all his stuff together and did it for, for the common people like we see at the end. I mean, he was known. He was, he was famous then. And I mean, in a city that revered that, you know, but. But was he a little ahead of his time where his, his, to ears of the time was his yeah. music too advanced? Sure. Were there too many notes? <laughs> Arguably, he, Abduction from Seraglio, which is the one that the Emperor says has too many notes, is a, an early example of the fascination with the Orient, the opening and ease of trade routes that begin in the 18th century, right? The faster ships, easier navigation, better geography, all of those things <clears throat> lead to access to parts of the world we hadn't had a whole lot of access to, right? Um, and that becomes all sorts of human rights violations in the 19th century, but <laughs> uh, just ugh, terrible, terrible, awful things. Uh, but he's setting it in Turkey because everybody's obsessed with Turkey. You know, mm. she's, I mean, she's talking about Mozart when she says, my hairdresser says everything will be Turkish this year. Right. <laughs> right, right. Uh, but, but really her hairdresser did say that her hairdresser was like, have you seen what they're doing in Turkey? Uh, and that ornate filigreed, all of that ornamentation gets represented and were Viennese ears in 17, you know, 
80 something ready for that probably not and was the emperor no <laughs> <laughs> right. so he was born in salzburg born in salzburg and then did most of his work in vienna for pre- predominantly yeah and then i was interested to find out that the theater uh, where they where the opera scenes are set was mm-hmm. shot in Prague, and that actually is the theater where Don Giovanni actually premiered. Really, it premiered in Prague. It premiered in Prague at that very theater that is depicted on the screen, which was still intact. Huh. Someone Google that to make sure that's true. <laughs> <laughs> Someone listening. But you've uh, what, what was his connection to Prague? Uh, well, it's really Foreman's connection to Prague was that he was Czech, and when he went to shoot the movie he needed he needed a town that looked right and didn't have telephone wires and didn't have and it was because it was still under yeah, soviet rule exactly. at the time because okay. it was under soviet rule foreman could shoot in prague and he was czech and there are funny stories about like the czech secret police being there in the during the filming and uh but it it looks like vienna when vienna didn't anymore vienna vienna even now has kind of there are streets with very mismatched architecture because there are things that kind of went up again very quickly after World War II where they didn't worry about restoring the original architecture. So it, Vienna, as beautiful a city as Vienna is, it would have been hard for Vienna to look the way he wanted it to. But And you visited all three cities? Last and summer. My mom, who is a badass, uh, was had a choir she took on tour and I got to tag along. So she, we were in Salzburg. They were performing in Salzburg and Vienna and Prague last summer and it was kind of the Mozart tour for me. <laughs> I cried a lot. <laughs> That's great. Aww. Now I keep uh, addressing this as a biopic, which it kind of is, but uh, it's heavily fictionalized Very, as well. Yeah, yeah. Which was a question I kept having and I thought you were joking when you said that it wasn't real. It's not. It, they were. I'm sorry, Craig. Go ahead. It, I think it's pretty much the invention of of Peter Schaffer, the the dramatist. But I apparently uh, Salieri, uh, in his in real life, did uh, as an old man kind of go crazy and claim to have murdered yeah. Mozart. Yeah, he was like, I did it. It was me. And everybody <laughs> went, No, it wasn't. Uh, he, he what? Was, <laughs> I mean, it is unlikely that Mozart died from poisoning he thought some he convinced himself of that but that was his own mental we we believe now that was his own mental illness uh I mean he was he's a little wacky right there's and you know syphilis does funny things to your brain there's but he definitely had syphilis in uh life. it's widely expected that he had syphilis okay it's, yeah but lots of people did right, right. It, um, but Salieri Sol- and Mozart's careers did coincide. Yeah. And the dates line up and everything. Yes. And, but they were, if anything, sort of detached colleagues with some mutual respect. There is no getting around the fact that Mozart had it heads and shoulders over Salieri. But it's such a great way to tell the story. Mm. And Mozart was probably not dictating the requiem to Salieri on his deathbed. No, but he didn't finish it. <laughs> Right. Someone had to finish it for him and was going to claim it as their own and Stanzi wouldn't hear of it. Uh, he, he, he thought that the Requiem was killing him. He had been commissioned to write the Requiem by someone he didn't know, by an unknown benefactor. That wow. is true. So that's not an exaggeration, yeah. but it, it probably was, was not Salieri in a mask. <laughs> no, it was for someone's dead wife. And I don't remember who the someone or who the wife is, but it was, it was for someone's dead wife. Uh, and he was supposed to, um, Yes, and he he felt like he was writing it for himself. I mean, he was sickly at the time and might have been aware that 
the end was coming. Wow. So it's almost like taking some of these famous events in uh, Mozart's life and connecting the dots yeah. to them in, in fictionalized sure, ways. Sure, it sort of reworks them to have this one person, this one through line. But it's <clears throat> impossible to think that there wasn't an enormous amount of jealousy for Mozart in the city. There's, I mean, it m- might not have all been at the hands of Salieri, but it was there. Sure. Uh, Carla, you've never seen this movie before. Never saw it. What'd you think? <laughs> <laughs> it's very long. <laughs> It's two hours and 40 minutes. I think Becky started watching the director's cut. Oh, do not do this. Do not. Please, please, whatever you do, please do not watch the director's cut. I have it on good authority from a friend who works at the Academy that that is largely marketing. Milos Forman did not like the director's cut. It is not his director's cut. He stands by the original. All right. Oh, then why do they call it the director's cut? Somewhere DVDs. Oh, I see. <laughs> and is it longer? Oh, Yes. <laughs> and oh how like a full 30 minutes longer oh god don't it's it changes the movie oh, in don't terrible worry. terrible ways <laughs> you don't have to talk me out of that i will not <laughs> well so what'd you think um it was okay <laughs> it was interesting uh it didn't you know it wasn't it wasn't my thing necessarily, but I can appreciate that it's an interesting way to tell a story. Sure. Certainly. And I did like, um, Salieri's character a lot. I thought he was fascinating. Um, and you could tell it almost felt like he was in love with Mozart, which I thought was a really interesting choice on the actor's part. Yeah. Um, I think he is. Yeah. And it's almost like, uh, in a movie today, they might play that angle up more. Yeah. yeah. An unrequited love kind of thing. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah, I, I thought that the actors were great. His laugh, I couldn't get on board with. <laughs> well, there's the part of my childhood I didn't mention. It's amazing my parents didn't put me up for adoption <laughs> for about six months at seven years old. And truly, they are saints for keeping me. I was so obsessed, I mimicked his laugh for about six months. Like, why was that a choice that was made in that movie? It be- there's there's record that he had this crazy high uh... demonic laugh. And I think, and Hulse apparently, I don't know, I think it's in the IMDb trivia, says he based it on somebody but would never reveal who it was. Well, it sounds like a cartoon character, right? He said it was like a director. Oh. Like somebody he worked with. He based it on a movie director. And who directed Animal House? Was that Landis or was that Ivan Reitman? I think it's Ivan Reitman. Uh, am, I, am I wrong? Because Tom Hulse had not worked that much. I mean, oh, like yeah, Animal Landis. House was his debut. Oh, and Landis. then yeah, Amadeus Landis. was six years later. So... Uh, yeah. I wonder if it's John Landis. Uh, I mean, it can't be that hard to figure out what director has a high pitched laugh. Right. You know? Uh, yeah. Tom Holtz, uh, had an interesting career. We were kind of, uh, IMDBing him, uh, because, you know, Oscar nominated for this, like very memorable performance. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you know Animal House, you remember him from that as well. And then a lot of people, I think, will remember him as the drug addict brother in parenthood. That's what I knew him from. Yeah. And, uh, and then he was the voice of Quasimodo in Disney's Hunchback of Notre Dame, which is, I think, oh, one I of their, one of their most underrated, uh, feature length animated movies. <laughs> uh, but then he's pretty much disappeared, uh, from the silver screen. Yeah. And, uh, and TV. Uh, but Carla, you, you kind of looked up what he's up to now. Yeah, he's like producing plays and stuff on He produced Broadway. Spring Awakening, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And American Idiot? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, like I think he directs theater and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. 
So it's all behind the scenes stuff now. From oh, he just produced uh, the Seagull with Annette Bening. Um, that's a movie, right? Which I haven't seen yet. Which I would like to see. And Saoirse yeah. Ronan. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, I do want to see that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, good for Tom he Hulse staying he in the game. Stopped wanting to act. That's his version of what happened. <laughs> he shows up in some. Will Ferrell movie. With Stranger Than Fiction. Yeah. Yeah. He's like a therapist right. or something like that. That's right. It yeah. did, I saw that on his Because IMDb. I, because I, rem- he, uh, he does not physically resemble what he did when he yeah, was. Yeah. He in looks very, very different. Very different. And I didn't recognize him at first when we saw that movie. And John was like, do you know who that is? Like in a movie theater. And I was like, no. He's like, that's Tom. And I was like, no. <laughs> Oh yeah, because yeah. in my head he has never aged. That's so. your guy. Yeah, he's my guy. <laughs> yeah, he, yeah, he looks very different. You know, and I'm still seven. So, <laughs> but yeah, I mean Mozart. Uh, I guess also John McEnroe was an inspiration for the character as right. as well. Yeah. Uh, it kind of like his tantrums on the uh, the tennis court. Uh, Mozart always has like these pink tinted wigs <laughs> in it to really like make fun. him look like a punk rocker uh-huh. throughout. It's very eighties. <laughs> it's very eighties. Yeah. I mean, I think if you polled people who have seen Amadeus, like what's the, the what's the main thing? If you could, uh, you know, sum up Amadeus in one word, I, I would imagine laugh would be one of the top things. So I think if you're not digging. <laughs> Tom Hulse's choice to do that laugh. He works the laugh so well, though. <laughs> I mean, when when nobody else is laughing and he just pushes it and, like, pushes the bit, it's so great. <laughs> it sounds like a cartoon character to me. What am I thinking of? It's something Woody from, Woodpecker? Like, Alice, in the, Alice in Wonderland, maybe. Oh, I don't know. I'm going to look it up, you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But not right now. But but I really want to know. So when you figure it out, tell me. Yeah. Okay. Keep going. Well, something by Ed Wynn, I think. Uh, Ed Wynn is the guy from I Love to Laugh and Mary Poppins. Yes, oh. that's what it is. But he, I think he's also one of the voices in Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. Whoa. He's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I. Is he Humpty Dumpty or something? Or Ed Wynn? Yeah. Is he one of the Tweedles? Or Tweedledum and Tweedledee? Maybe. No, no, that's, I can I'm almost up, picture him. But I, I would say in, in general that this movie is played pretty broad. Yeah. Like the, uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, uh-huh. uh, like I don't necessarily think F. Murray Abraham's over the top, uh, but, but Tom Hall certainly is bordering on it. And you know, the acting style in, in general is, is larger, uh, than in other movies of this ilk. Maybe that's why it appealed to me as a kid. You know, it was accessible that way yeah. to me, you know. Guys, he was the Mad Hatter. Ah. Of course, ah, the right, Mad right, right. Hatter. Can, yeah. Does I he have a weird laugh? Hat. Mad Hatter's laugh. Keep going, keep going. I'm going to hear you again. <laughs> I did. So Edwin was the Mad Hatter and then, you know, and then he's he's laughing constantly and I love to laugh. Yeah, I think it's the uncle, same. Yeah, somebody. Oh, yeah. it happens. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I saw it. Uh not when it came out in the theater, but I saw it on home video with my mother, uh, I think bef- while it was nominated. So I think probably like before the Oscars that year, uh, it must have just come out on VHS mm-hmm. and I watched it at home. So I would have been around 15, I yeah. think. <laughs> It's kind of the same vibe. Yeah, he hangs up in his falsetto a little bit. All right, sorry. <laughs> this is driving me crazy. But that's exactly what it is. That's what you yeah. were thinking of? Yeah. Do you yeah. feel better? I feel like, so much yeah, better. Yeah, I would too. <laughs> <laughs> it would drive me nuts. 
But I, I kind of like that the, the acting is a little broader and less stodgy uh-huh. in this. Uh, I mean, it's already a long movie. Uh, it, it's a lot to get through, but I, I find it pretty breezy and entertaining. And it's also interesting, you know, the two main actors are Americans using American accents too, which I also kind of appreciate. He has a little yeah. bit of an Italian accent, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, he will, you know, Sully is supposed to be Italian, so it'll be a like, grazie, signore, oh, okay. you know. I but, think when he speaks Italian, he turns he has it on. An accent. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but presumably, everybody speaking German to one another uh, translated for us into American-accented English. Didn't you know. Foreman say he just didn't want them worrying about it? Except for the hairdresser, who is so Viennese, right? Yes. There's a, like the one guy with an accent. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it it is a weird thing that all like period pieces are always done with British accents, regardless of what country you're in. Right. You know, when you've right. translated into English. Milos Foreman's version of Dangerous Liaisons, which is called Valmont. Valmont is similar, where they don't have accents, or some of them have accents, but others don't. Like he just let it kind of exist. Yeah. As the actors truly spoke. Is Colin Firth speaking with a British accent? He does, but then Annette Benning's in it and she doesn't speaking have an with accent. an American accent. Yeah. I like that huh. choice, I think. Yeah. Uh because certainly they could speak English with a German accent too. Mm-hmm. You know, that would be a weird choice, but some movies do that, you know. Uh I I I, I kind of like it when it's just the actors' natural accents. I think. Good. When we make our movie, that's what we'll do. <laughs> do it. Do it. <laughs> hey, how you doing? I'm <laughs> I'm from Ukraine. <laughs> uh, and then F. Mary Abraham uh, had done some character acting parts, I think, in like some Sidney LeMay films. You know, he, he was and he had just completed uh, Brian De Palma's Scarface. Like they had to wait for him to be done with Scarface. Or I think for a certain point he was going back and forth between the two things. And I, he auditioned, I think for a smaller part, one of the other guys at the court, uh-huh. um, one of the other, uh, Capelmeister Bono or something. Yeah. yeah. The, the tastemakers, right. uh, who you have to, the hurdles that you have to get over to the have Italians, your, your always for. the Italians. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, but he secured the main part of Salieri and then won the Oscar for it. And he wasn't in the play. I don't believe, I don't believe he was. Though some of the actors who played Mozart on stage were Tim Curry and Mark Hamill. Uh What? I love that. Did Ian McKellen play Salieri? I bet you're right. I think so. Yes. And you know. Oh, he would have been great. I know at one point, Kate Miller, who is John DiMaggio's wife, was Constanza on Broadway. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. That's cool. Yeah, I remember reading the play in college after being familiar with the movie, and it's very different. I think some of the Salieri speeches are intact, but I've never read the play. <laughs> I've read Equus. I mean, like I've read other Peter Schaffer, but I, uh, I always just had this inertia about reading the play. Sure, it it exists. I think it was sort of also my director's cut, you know, allergy. <laughs> yeah, it just exists perfectly for me. So yeah, um, I. Yeah, kind of don't want to mess with it. But if I recall, it's mostly like a Salieri monologue with other with scenes like kind of illustrating it. So I think all the other characters' parts were bumped up considerably uh, by Schaffer for the movie. Uh, and then uh, 
F. Murray Abraham, I think, has acted a lot more over the last like 20 years than he did in the period immediately after Amadeus. I, I think he didn't necessarily work a lot in movies after that, but I think we see him all the time. I really liked him in as Mr. Mustafa, I think, uh-huh. in Grand Budapest Hotel. Oh, yeah. Because he's the older version of the young kid, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's just a heartbreaking performance where he has oh, that, love that, that, movie. Movie. that dinner with Jude Law. Who, what's the band that sings Amadeus, Amadeus? <laughs> well, Falco. Falco is, uh, Falco, yeah. I, I believe he's dead now, but he was a Austrian rapper, uh, and just one of the, one of the first <laughs> white and European rappers, uh, and his two big hits were Decomissar, uh, which was adapted, uh, by a British band called After the Fire. That's the version that we know better in America, but that's Don't Turn Around. Uh oh. Dacoma Sars in Town. Uh oh. So that, that original version has all, uh, rapping in German by Falco. And then, uh, he had a number one hit in 1985 with Rock Me Amadeus. <laughs> 1995 or 85? 85. 85. Oh. Uh, and he is like, I mean, it clearly is influenced by the movie because he's wearing like a pink wig, like walking around Vienna in the video. Hey, jump on that Amadeus money train, right? (laughs) (laughs) It was big at the time. What are other lyrics besides Amadeus, Amadeus? Well, it's all in German. So it's like... You know? Oh, please do that again and again. Oh, but in in my neck of the woods, in the DC area, for some reason, the B side, which was a remix of Rock Me Amadeus, was the hit. So it was kind of a double sided uh, hit, and it had definitely like an Amadeus Amadeus riff. But it also had this whole thing where a guy is just like Becky was doing at the beginning of the podcast was like, um, 1756, Amadeus is born in Salzburg, <laughs> Austria. Oh, other boring nerds. Good, 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 good. <laughs> in 1777, Amadeus marries Constance Shriver, something like that. Uh, and then, I, but I do remember it ends with like, in, uh, in August of 1795, 1791, Mozart dies. In 1985, Austrian rock star Falco records, Rock me, I'm a dance! <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was so weird to have a song referencing its own existence <laughs> as a factoid within the same song. Uh, <laughs> I love that you have this encyclopedic knowledge of this. Like, we were in a dressing room once and I made... It wasn't a mistake. It was a great thing because I learned so much. I said something like, you know, I only think I know two or three songs by Three Dog Night. And you went, oh, that's not true. And then (laughs) proceeded to give me, you know, to remind me of the 12 other Three Dog Night tunes I knew. And I was like, I had no idea that was Three Dog Night. And I'm so glad I do now. Let's explain why you're in a dressing room together. Oh, it was Thrilling Adventure Hour. Sorry. I think we were in San Francisco. We were in San Francisco. We were trying on outfits. When you said dressing room, I was like in uh, TJ Maxx with you. I'm sorry. We were backstage in a dressing room. A green room, And then I figured it out. But just for those people who don't know what Thrilling Adventure is. Nothing. We were just backstage. Well, your encyclopedic knowledge is uh, encyclopedic knowledge (laughs) is about the great composer uh, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. I know Falco and Three Dog Night. (laughs) So I think so. We're even. Yeah, we're even. I'm John and Becky are like amazing uh, trivia night people. 
Yes. Little factoid. Oh, we're going to bring you. You need to come. You guys need to come. Craig, you should definitely fun. go. I've, they've asked me <laughs> numerous <laughs> times. And I've, I've never been able to make it work. Oh, but cool. yeah. And, uh, and Craig's listeners, we had uh, John Dinerstein on for the Psycho episode, uh, which was a very memorable one where he uh, he schooled us a lot on the music That's of uh, Bernard Herrmann. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and of course, uh, we've recommended many times his Settling the Score podcast, uh, which is just wonderful. And they just covered Jaws. Uh, which was a really great episode as well. It's uh, I I really love his podcast. I mean, it's I would say really that well even done. if I wasn't married to him, I really love his podcast. High yeah. production value, high info, <laughs> and they're hitting the end of the AFI list. So their uh, next movie is my other favorite movie. Ooh, their next movie is Godfather. So oh, sure. It's just been like my favorite movies in my house all the time, and That's it's awesome. awesome. Yeah, Godfather's all right. I wish I experienced <laughs> my favorite movies in my house. <laughs> I loved your Beetlejuice. Episodes, thank so you much. Hey, Jeffrey Jones, yeah, yes. Jeffrey yeah. Jones. There's that, that connection. Weirdo <laughs> pops up every now and yeah, again. When he, he showed up, I was like, oh, this means Carlo will really like this. <laughs> <laughs> Jeffrey uh, Jones was so uh, omnipresent in the uh, in the eighties. Like this is the year before Ferris Bueller, right? Right. And a few years before Beetlejuice. He's really good in this. Yeah, he is. Uh, he's great. I thought he was great. Yeah. All oh, that. There it is. <laughs> well, there it is. Uh, and the scene where he's reacting to the, the awkward ballet because he's not, uh, because he had a court decree that you can't have music and dancing at the same time. Yeah, like, what is want, that exactly? He didn't want dance and opera. You know, there were, I, there were a lot of decrees. The whole Figaro thing is, I mean, Figaro was so troubled. I, so Figaro, like, get, I'm sorry, should I go down this rabbit hole? Please. Path? Should I, should, are you sure? Uh, <laughs> Figaro get, is a play, is a French play that gets banned by the emperor because his sister, Marie Antoinette, is a little worried about unrest among the classes in France. Uh, and, and tells him this, right? Like, that's his sister. She's, you know, yeah. her head is not long for this world. Uh, and he bans the play because the play, the way they cover it in the movie, the play is about, servants behaving above their station um really by behaving uh, by behaving above their station what that means is that figaro is trying to prevent the rape of his wife on their wedding night by the Uh, count mm. who they work for because there was this old feudal law that said if your servant girl marries you have the right to sleep with her before her husband does. What? I right. mean, and, and the count had outlawed that, but now that his, he's about to get married to <laughs> Susanna, that Figaro is about to marry Susanna, he's, the, the count is trying to reinstate that rule. And that's what Figaro, I mean, yes, it, it, it was banned because there were, there was class issues and that was, I mean, it's the end of the 18th century. That's what the end of the 18th century is about, right? But still, come, I mean, the idea that Figaro should be banned, it's, it's a, it, it's pretty cut and dry that Figaro's in the right here. Yeah. It's also interesting to think of, you know, I, I would now like opera and ballet are kind of like the stodgiest arts possible of like, it's only the richest people go to see it. And, you know, it depends it, on the opera you're seeing. Yeah. Uh, but I know what you mean. Yeah, and I, I'm not saying that uh, as as a knock on the art forms. I'm just sure. saying this is because it's culture and now. That's what, I mean, Broadway musicals are are the same now too. The, the, like, so many people to. are priced out of seeing <laughs> yeah. Broadway yeah. musicals, Absolutely. you know, which used to be the most populist thing. Mm-hmm. 
possible, right. you know, They're, and opera was populist at exactly. a time too, yeah. you know. So I think that's an interesting thing of seeing this movie, of seeing those art forms in the context of the time when they were actually kind of dangerous and new, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, and we're, envelopes we're, were pushed. Yeah. And we're, we're breaking down, you know, social structures. Why don't we go chronologically through the movie a little bit with a segment that we like to call the most popular segment <laughs> on the podcast. Of course it is. Carla's of Quotes. Of course it is. <laughs> She's feeling her oats and Craig's taking notes. Whatever they are, it's Carla's Quotes. When Carla heard that first music cue, uh, which sounds like... I'm not going to keep doing this. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was even, even like right as the movie starts, like there's just like one s- oh, strike. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Carla's like, whoa, Dracula right away. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Not that, but it's like that. Uh, Salieri, we, we start, uh, it, uh, many years after the death of Mozart. Salieri is an old man now. Are you saying Salieri or Salieri? Salieri. Okay. Yeah. It's like, uh, mozzarella, you know, you just- <laughs> <laughs> lasagna. Let's you want some that from that part of the there. You want some mozzarella on your lasagna? <laughs> I'm dropping that last eye like a real goomba from Ukraine. <laughs> but his valet is played by Vincent Schiavelli, a well-known character actor. From or Ghost. Uh, well, He's the scary ghost on the train. Carla said, that's the guy from Ghost. Yeah. I'm sorry. No. Oh, no, it's great. I'm glad that you recognize Recognize that too, Becky. <laughs> right away. And then uh, he's 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 yelling uh, to Mozart. What does he say? Oh, from he's the oh, I admit it, I killed you there. Yeah, <laughs> yep. it was me. Uh, they finally knock down the door, and uh, and he's bleeding. He's uh, he's attempted suicide. Carla said, "Did he just cut off his penis? Because that's what it looked like." <laughs> The way that he's leaning over and the where the his blo- where the blood is, it looks like he just tried to cut off his penis. <laughs> I'm being dead serious. Go back and watch it. I I think yeah, he's like leaning forward. Yeah, he's yeah because he's he's cut his throat and he's like coming up like this. Yeah, and all over his wrists and yeah, yeah. I can see where you'd get that. I'm glad that's not the case though. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what kind of movie I was in for. Uh, of course, during the opening titles, you know, if the movie is French, Carla will do a French accent. If the movie is Italian, uh, she'll do an Italian accent. Uh, this time she said, a Milos Forman film. <laughs> what accent was that? Well, yeah, what, you, you do your Czech accent. I don't know. I don't remember doing this at all. <laughs> That's what you did. You said, and Milos form, Milos form. I love that this like happens to you in a fugue state. Yes. <laughs> I bet I thought that I was doing an Italian accent and you oh, heard okay. something else. I gave you the credit of actually thinking he was Czech. Uh, we kind of follow, uh, <laughs> they're rushing Salieri to the hospital in a horse and carriage. And Carla said, I'm so glad we don't live in that time because that's an ambulance right there. <laughs> Right, they carry him out in a basket and like dump him onto a yeah. As Ephraim turns around in his old man makeup, which is pretty good, I think, for the it did yeah. win the Oscar for makeup. Uh, Carla said, "Is Gary old man in this?" <laughs> I'm so used to seeing Gary Oldman in that kind of makeup. I think I thought it was Gary Oldman for a minute. <laughs> I mean, he would have been quite young at, at the yeah. time. Uh, I guess you're thinking specifically of Darkest Hour, where he's Winston Churchill. Yeah, sure. But I guess Immortal Beloved, where he's another composer it guy, plays Beethoven, yeah. right? But 
I guess you're thinking even more of like when he's the old Dracula. Dracula, right? Yeah, Dracula. That's what he looked yeah, like. Yeah, he looks yeah. a little like Salieri's old man yes. in this. But you pronounced it old man. Too. I know. I was doing a joke on two levels. <laughs> so many levels. So many levels. When you when they first walk into the asylum and when the priest first comes into the asylum, you, you see the inmates in, you know, an early 19th century asy- asylum, which is awful. Awful, right? yeah. Uh, you see there's a naked guy who kind yep. of blocks the door for a second. And when I was seven and had the chicken pox, my grandmother like used to say, that's the only reason you want to watch this movie. You just want to see the bear man's behind. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> and I would get very, I mean, she was teasing me and I would get very embarrassed. And <laughs> Was this movie rated R? Maybe. Could be. I mean, it's not that graphic or anything. I mean, there's some profanity in it. You know, yeah. it's definitely like, it's adult themes, yeah. but, uh, but still seven seems young to me. I loved it. It was my favorite thing. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> but you watch movies that are appropriate for you with your grandmother as well or? Sometimes. Yeah. Coming to America was real big in my, uh, in my childhood, <laughs> which is a totally inappropriate sure. movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, I had never seen it. And we saw it at an outdoor, one of those. Drive-in. It's yeah, called a drive-in. An outdoor theater where you pull your car up. I don't know what they're called. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, this movie is super inappropriate. Yeah. It was a hard R, man. Yeah. I was scandalized. <laughs> your delicate sensibilities, Greg. <laughs> I could not handle seeing that many breasts. <laughs> Lots of breasts. Here's Carla on F. Uh, he's super old now. Right, but I thought he was Frank Langella. This whole <laughs> oh, movie. Oh. I mean, they're, I mean, they're probably around the same age and they're in a similar yeah. vein of American character actors. They do a lot of, I mean, and his part on Homeland is very similar to Frank Langella's part yeah. on The Americans. I'm so sorry. Yes. Can, this, you can edit this right on out. You can take this right on out, but this is a thing. It made me think of you guys as soon as we're talking about actors being old. The actress who played, I'm going to jump to another movie. This is going to be great, guys. Uh, the actress who played Mama. In The Godfather just passed away like oh. last week. Okay, do this math. She was 87 when she died, which means that when she filmed The Godfather, Mama was, and I'm going to throw up a little when I say this, 41. What? <laughs> she was a jazz singer, right? Yeah. 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 What's her she name? Passed, I don't remember, and I really should be able to. But Something King? Something, or? Yeah, that's yeah. right. She just, wow. she was 41. Oh my God. <laughs> Did they make her up to look older? Or? Yeah. I mean, I mean and Brando was more like something. 50. Yeah. Or yeah. no, it's even younger than that. Brando was scandalous. Late forties. Yeah. Yeah. And he's in, he's in makeup, you know, yeah. he's got his cheeks full of the uh, cotton. Yeah. Back to this movie. I'm sorry. <laughs> but anyway, I thought oh, you guys really talking about how old people look in older yeah. movies. I'm older now than F. Murray Abraham was in this movie. Well, yeah. Really? <laughs> he doesn't look super old in this movie to me. Yeah. He looks mid forties. Yeah. Which is yeah. what he was. Yeah. Uh, one of the Oscars that this did not win was editing, which is, uh, shocking to me because I love the editing yeah. in this movie and particularly as we start with the old Salieri remembering Mozart and those cuts back and forth and everything. And I love the use of, you know, when he, when we hear the music that's in his head, you know, before, Seeing it of like it's it's so wonderfully done, I, and Sir Neville Mariner conducted the Saint Martin in the Fields Chamber Ensemble, which is w- who recorded all of well, nearly all of the music, um, and he and Sir Neville Mariner said, "I will only do this if you don't change a note." Hmm. 
Mm. Like you can edit, obviously, but you can't change a note. So all that editing had to happen around pre-existing music. I mm. mean, you're editing to music as opposed to editing the music to the picture. Yeah. Right. That's really cool. So there's no original score in this, right? None. It's all, yeah. all Mozart and a little bit of Salieri. And a little bit of Salieri. <laughs> and a little Pergolesi at one point in the, it's Pergolesi when he's like praying for his father to die as a boy. Salieri. Oh. Not really, but you know, praying for a way out of his little town in Italy. So I think right away that, you know, the whole movie is constructed around a, uh, a confession that Salieri is giving to a priest, uh, which allows us to, to flash back to his life with, uh, with Mozart. But, uh, I, I think for me, the thing that makes this one of my favorites is just the themes of it are so interesting. Uh, the idea of somebody who is, Hardworking and successful, but knows that he's not as good as the people who are the best, uh, and is kind of condemned to be a mediocrity. And then this guy comes along and only Salieri is really recognizing the extent of Mozart's genius. And he's also, and he's sabotaging him at the mm -hmm. same time. And Mozart is sometimes misinterpreting Salieri's uh, interest in him for legitimate interest. You know, it, it's like it's a really interesting frenemy. And Salieri is blaming all of this on God. Yes. I mean, and he's Salieri <clears throat> believes that he's hearing the voice of God, but that through this perversion and he is only wanted this one thing. And but in the end. In his day, Salieri has the more successful career. Mm -hmm. He has money and influence, and he's using it to take the person who is infinitely more talented and make sure he doesn't have the career he's entitled, should be entitled to. And, I mean, how often do we see people who are brilliant not have the careers mm -hmm. they should have mm -hmm. now? I mean, I feel like that that happens. I feel like we all know people who are like... This person is a genius. Why isn't this person working every damn day? Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I know you're looking at me right now. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, as, as people who work in the arts, I mean, it is the kind of thing you think of sometimes. Like, I don't know that many terrible people who are successful, but you know. But he wasn't terrible. He was just... He's Yoke. vulgar and... Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you meant Salieri oh, was yeah. a terrible talent. I was saying Salieri wasn't a terrible talent. He was yeah. just adequate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, there are also people who are geniuses and bad people. I mean, we've talked no. about that on our podcast yeah. as well, you know, right. and, uh, and in, in our day and age, super successful. Do you think Mozart's <laughs> a bad person? Uh, as depicted in this movie, he's arrogant and vulgar, but I, I also find him sympathetic. I'm so too. charmed by him so much of the time. Yeah. I kept thinking about this movie in comparison <clears throat> to Phantom Thread. Mm -hmm. And I felt... I, I hated Daniel Day Lewis's character. Loved his performance, but hated that character. Me too. So much. I don't think I saw that movie. No. It was, ugh. Don't, you, don't ruin it for me. I'm sorry. You would have hated it. Yeah. I'm going to watch it now. <laughs> <laughs> Just to spite right me. Now. You guys finish this up. I'm going to go watch Phantom Uh I feel like with Mozart, though, part of the reason he wasn't successful is because he wasn't listening to what the people who were telling him what they wanted him to do necessarily. Yeah. Like he was a rule breaker, whereas Salieri would be like, just say yes to whoever was paying him. Yeah. Right. You want to play through badly the little march I just wrote? Of course your highness would be an honor. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so too much honor. 
maybe Salieri could have been as genius if he had been willing to take more risks and maybe Mozart could have been more. Nope. <laughs> I really, I mean, I, I, I think in this movie at least. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, I, that's what's so fascinating about it to me is that neither one of them are hero or villain in it. And, but particularly those movies where like Amadeus is asking for validation from Salieri and Salieri, who's been kind of duplicitous with him, will give him like, like, I consider it the, the greatest music that I've ever heard. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know that he's totally on the level and exactly, yeah. it's saying exactly what's on his mind it's in those miraculous. moments. Yeah. And those moments at the end when Mozart's on his deathbed and, and, I forget exactly what he says, oh. but of like just the idea of like recognizing you've been a friend to me all along when we know that he hasn't. And we've you know? ha- we've gone through this movie where Salieri has told us time and time again that Mozart is the voice of God, and the last thing Mozart says is, "I thought you did not care for my work. Forgive me." Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's it's God talking, right? It's yeah. heartbreaking. Yeah. Here's Carla. Oh, his laugh is not working for me on any level. <laughs> Imagine being my parents. <laughs> oh my god! I just checked out of everything. I'm gonna try that out as a new laugh from now on. I think well, I hope divorce divorce <laughs> life is good for you. Just stop being funny about anything now. <laughs> uh, those moments where Mozart is uh, in the court and of like. And, you know, there's all these snotty people, you know, who won't let him do his thing. And then he'll just kind of like keep talking and kind of stick to his guns. You know, (laughs) those moments can be kind of painful (laughs) at times. So those moments where he's snotty back to them, Carla was like, oh boy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and that moment where, uh, Salier's composed this little march to introduce, uh-huh. uh, Mozart to the emperor. And then Mozart plays it back from memory instantly and then kind of gives him notes on it uh-huh. right away. This doesn't quite work. Have you tried this? Yeah. Or this? This? <laughs> I have to say, as soon as the movie, or maybe we like stopped to get a new drink or something when John and I were watching it, but when we paused it, John just jumped up and ran over to the piano and played the march. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I've got it in my ear too. Wow. I can do it. <laughs> Uh, but Carla said, even I know that's better. <laughs> <laughs> and then he makes fun of him at the end, right? He gets, he gives it this big flourish, then he starts, you know, creating variations on it, and at the end he's just like, bum, ba da. <laughs> yeah. Which gets echoed later when he mimics Salieri's work at yeah. the, at the festival, at the party with his dad. And also the other heartbreaking thing is, uh, Mozart's just had Marriage of Figaro, which is like opened and closed. And then yeah. Salieri has his opera. And then the emperor's like, this is the oh. greatest opera of all time. Mm-hmm. And then Mozart's there with his friends, like drinking up in the box. And then afterwards, like goes up to Salieri like, uh, and was like, <laughs> you can only hear music like that and say Salieri. <laughs> like it's like the most condescending yeah. non compliments he can give him. We all know someone who I'm just not going to name who used to have a great catalog of things you could say when you couldn't say something after somebody's bad show. Yes, yeah. yeah. Like, God, you've, you've just never sounded better than you did tonight. <laughs> Wow. was my favorite but we we all know someone who i'm just not going to give away but that <laughs> used to have just a long laundry list of things you could you had a lot of energy up there <laughs> you were really up there weren't you <laughs> salieri is kind of doing his monologues to a crucifix uh and uh you know grazie signore and carla said yikes it's not jesus's fault <laughs> but he's saying it is yeah. i should say that uh 
Becky made us nipples of Venus. <laughs> what a nice gesture. And they look incredible. I should take a picture and, uh, and send that out with the podcast this totally. week. But these are the delicacies <laughs> that Salieri has in his study. He was famous for having this sweet tooth. And they're what he gives Constanza when she brings him the folio because Mozart won't submit his own work. Uh, Becky's a great baker. Yes. Wow. Like, really great. Come over for dinner soon. We'll we have will. dinner. It'll we just good. have to get off this stupid cleanse. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I have done that. That's miserable. Uh, Mozart has to submit material to audition to tutor a 13-year-old girl, you know, which, like, I think we've also, in the arts, like, all been through that of, like, you don't know my work? Why do I have to submit? <laughs> you know, but right. it's it's fucking Mozart in this yeah. movie. But it's really so Salieri can steal a look at his stuff. Well, and so we can, you know, hinder his career. Like they're yeah. going to just give it to him. And a royal pupil would mean a lot more royal pupils and a mm. lot of money. It would mean a lot of pupils. It would mean a, if one, it's, you know, it's the, uh, here I am not going to be able to do this well. Kylie Jenner likes this mascara. So this mascara makes a million dollars that day. Right. It's the same. And Salieri wasn't going to let him have that kind of success. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, here's where I know I think I had lost Carla on this movie. She said, uh, Meryl Streep put her condo up for sale for $26 million. <laughs> <laughs> so this is just Carla just on her phone, just reading, <laughs> reading celebrity news. Um, <laughs> I was still watching. I know what happened. That was during the dad part. <laughs> uh, Salieri is kind of like thumbing through all of uh, all of his, and he almost like has an orgasm. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. like listening to it and drops the scores. I guess the scene that's in the the longer version, I won't call it the director's cut, that kind of changes him, which I heard about, is he does have a scene of trying to seduce Mozart's wife. Well, he tells her, "This is where this is where I had to turn it off. This is where I got angry." Uh, he says, "I'll speak to the emperor if you come back tonight." Hmm. And he doesn't think she will, is sort of what you're led to believe. And then she shows up and she starts taking her clothes off and he like calls in his footman and he's like, show her out. So it's practically, a, I mean, it's assault. He's like, he's revealing her to, yeah. I mean, she's, she's willing to do it. She's willing to do it for him. And oh, good God, I'm glad they cut that. It shouldn't even be spoken of. Because the character is almost asexual as it plays in the original version of, of well, Salieri. he's got a thing for Katerina Cavallari. Which is Christine Ebersole's character. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but even then, like, it's clearly unrequited, you know, yeah. uh, and it's not played that sexual. I don't know. Um, he promises his chastity, <laughs> right? He promise. He says, "But as a boy, I, I." That's right. In in exchange for letting me be your voice, I give you my my chastity, my earnestness, my humility, my yeah. Uh, they go to a masquerade party. Uh, there is the one great bit of Mozart's dad is wearing the comedy and tragedy masks on either side, uh, and the Mozart I forget is is farting or making some dumb joke or whatever, and. Uh, the disapproving, the tragedy mask is looking at him and he turns around, uh, and it's the comedy mask. And Mozart's like, Oh, dad did like it. And then he takes off the mask and he's glowering <laughs> at him. You know, that, that's kind of a fun bit. Uh, but then Salieri is also at the party in a mask and is like, play Salieri. And Carla's like, that's so obviously Salieri. <laughs> like, 
How do people not know that? He has him play Bach first, and he does Bach, and then they flip him over, and they make him play, the, and they call for Handel and for Gluck, and he says, I don't like them, I don't like them, but actually they were two composers Mozart really admired okay. and, and was a big fan of. And then oh, they, they lied oh. to us again. Ah, oh, a challenge, Salieri. And Tom Hulse really learned to play yeah. upside down like Practice that, like so he's doing, he's doing his own playing there. Uh, there is a teenage maid, uh, who Salieri hires to spy on the Mozart family. And, uh, she's played by a young Cynthia Nixon. When she appeared on screen, Carla said, Miranda! <laughs> she's so little. Yeah. She's, she's a little, little girl. girl. Baby Miranda. <laughs> Baby Miranda. She was around 18 at the time. Uh, Elizabeth Barrage plays Mozart's wife. Uh, she's uh, another person who hasn't done a lot. I think she's quite good in this, uh, as well. Um, but I read that she replaced Meg Tilly, uh-huh. uh, and I don't know how much they shot with Meg Tilly, but that's interesting. Whenever they were talking about the marriage of Figaro, Carla would go, Figaro, Figaro, Figaro. <laughs> same, yeah. same character, different composer. Oh. Okay. Um, the that's Barbara of Seville? Yeah, and, okay. and Figaro is a, like a sequel to Barbara of Seville, though mm. the Rossini that everybody knows is written in, I don't know, 1818, 1820, something so like that. So Barbara of Seville comes after Marriage of Figaro. No, Barbara of Seville comes before chronologically Barbara of Seville comes before the Marriage of Figaro there's a lesser known Barbara of Seville opera prior to Marriage of Figaro Rossini after Marriage of Figaro <laughs> in the early 19th century writes uh, the Barbara of Seville everybody knows that you're seeing it okay she is not googling any of this folks yeah <laughs> it's right it's right there when he's talking about uh, the duo turning into a trio turning into a quartet turning into a sextet uh. Uh, he, and he says to the emperor, imagine the longest time that something could be sustained and then double it. And Carla said, is he talking about sex? <laughs> John and I were taking bets last night as to what Craig's opening monologue was going to be. <laughs> and, and we were, we were proposing things to each other. And that was what I was proposing. Oh. Right? It starts, it starts with Craig and then comes Carla and then, and they're having oh. the, the funniest little argument and then comes in a guest and then <clears> Benny and then <laughs> imagine the, the number of, I'm, Right. Oh, I'm that would have been so good, Craig. <laughs> like, redo it. Oh, I thought, and we were sure you were going to do the, um, the speech that gets parodied in How I Met Your Mother. Do you know about this? The, no. Oh, the early, I'm sorry, earlier in the movie, he does the, uh, when he's explaining why the, the wind ensemble is genius after he's seen Mozart for the first time and realized, you know, and he's looking at the score and he talks about, and then an oboe until a clarinet takes it over. Uh, we thought you might do that. And, <laughs> but on how I met your mother, Marshall does that speech about a cheeseburger. Amazing. And, and instead of saying an oboe, he says a pickle. And <laughs> as we're watching it, John just went a pickle. <laughs> <laughs> The way the uh, the dynamics of the music we're playing on our DVD, uh, whenever it would go to a you know uh, an, an opera scene, it would be twice as loud as the dialogue. So <laughs> I was constantly having to adjust the volume. And Carla said, "It's so loud, babe. It's so loud. It's like five notches too loud, and it's boring, babe. It's so boring. It's like five <laughs> notches too boring." Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Then you said, hey, remember Immortal Beloved? That's not about Mozart. (laughs) I've never seen Immortal Beloved. It's great. I don't know if that's true. It was great when I was 16. Apparently, there's a scene where he looks at a kid, maybe at the masquerade party, and that's supposed to be Beethoven? It's suggested that it's Beethoven. It's the right age. Yeah. 
How is it suggested? I, I read, I think I read the same thing you did. Okay. It's just sort of this kid who's kind of eyeing him and it is, it, you could make the argument that it looks a little like him, but. Yeah. Um, and then after Carla had that quote of how boring it was, I said, you can stop if you want to. And you said, no, I need to give it my all because Becky's coming. Oh, <laughs> It's not your fault. <laughs> Mozart has daddy issues, you know, particularly after Leopold dies. Uh, and, uh, and Carla's like, he's like, I didn't live up to my dad's ex- expectations. And Sally, Salieri's like, yeah, bitch. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. <laughs> How can I leverage that? <laughs> and then Salieri wearing yet another mask, this time the same mask that his dad mm-hmm. was wearing, uh, to, uh, to, to conjure up those daddy issues as the, uh, as the patron who's commissioning the, uh, the requiem. And Carla said, how does he not know that Salieri yet? That guy shows up everywhere. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. Carla, is this a true story? Craig, no. Carla, are you kidding me? <laughs> There's a lot of truth in it. I think that's the best way to... I really thought you were joking. Uh, Here's Carla again. The actor who plays the priest is like, I thought I had a bigger part. (laughs) (laughs) Because he has to sit there and listen the whole time. And so there's reaction shots of him. But pretty much after the opening scene, he really doesn't talk again. Nope. He didn't get a whole lot to do. Just reaction shots. I should note uh, one of three movies on Craigslist featuring Kenny Baker... Ooh, which was Kenny Baker? Well, Kenny Baker is one of the uh, time travelers in Time Bandit, so we saw that already. We're going to see him again in a little movie called Star Wars, and he oh, is. Of course, of course, of course. Wait, wait, wait. Kenny, Kenny Baker is. Uh, it, it is one of the troupe of actors when they go see the uh, the parody. Wait, what is it? Um. Yeah. The the for the commoners though the parody yeah. of of. Wait, who is he in Star Wars? He's R two D two. So he's the guy oh, in the suit duh. for R2-D2, I don't, basically. I can't remember names. <laughs> remember. John and I were talking about that, and I forgot that that was who yeah. Kenny Baker was. But basically, this thing, that this the, there's a troop of actors that Simon Callow is in, and they, they're doing, like, musical parodies and stuff. It's like a sketch comedy show, basically, right? Yeah, yeah, they are. They're doing, I mean, you can see they make fun of all of the... All of the operas we've seen so far. They do the, you know, love me, kill me thing from Seraglio. They do, it's a little person coming in rather than this statue that's come to life as Leopold, well, metaphorically, <laughs> saying, you know, I'm Don Giovanni and it, but it's this little tiny voice and they do. So the- it's like forbidden Broadway, basically, yeah. the, the equivalent of that. And so the idea is like the masses, the commoners go to see this to see like the, the parody of the, things that the yeah. more high society people mm-hmm. are going to and they you know throw sausages to the audience and <laughs> um the thing where they feed the horse and get the sausages and the the dove out of the right. back end of the horse um reminded me of into the woods because that's sort oh, of what yeah. happens with milky white but the woman who plays constanza's mother who the queen of the night is based on uh is was the original cast of she was jack's mother oh in weird into the woods wow uh, I, I love the scene where his mother-in-law is kind of nattering at him mm-hmm. in his high-pitched voice and then it cuts to the Queen of the Night. Yeah. The I soprano mean, singing that. Ab- yeah. Ab- perhaps the most famous soprano aria. I mean, really arguably it's, and so acrobatic and hard. It's known for how hard it is. Wow. Uh, but when they were in that, uh, that parody thing, Carla's like, it's a nice theater for a sketch comedy show. <laughs> <laughs> that theater was built 
by the way. That that's the biggest set that they had right. to build for mm-hmm. for this. They only had to build four sets. I want to see the, the guys whole with movie. the rakes again. Like the rakes are really. I want to see mm-hmm. those guys do the like yeah. stomp stuff. It's stomp. The rakes. It's basically yeah. stomp. Uh, when uh, Wolfie comes back drunk to his wife and she says, "Be honest, tell me you've been drinking." Carla said, "That's the least he's been doing." <laughs> Uh, to me, that final scene between Mozart and Salieri like really puts this over the top for me. It is like, great. I I thought that was the best scene in the movie. Uh, so Mozart's trying to dictate the requiem to him. Salieri can't keep up. He can't understand the genius mm-hmm. as it's coming. And and Mozart is just like off the top of his head telling him all this stuff. And and Salieri can't see how it all goes together. It's just wonderfully played by both actors. I and think. they, I, yeah. And Mozart never actually finished it. I think we said that before, but yeah. he, and, and he, yeah, I mean, as he's seeing it fully formed in his head and trying to explain what he needs on the page mm-hmm. to the one person who has a shot in the dark of understanding what he's trying to say. Mm-hmm. And he, and they build it and build it. And then he explains, you know, now for the real fire, right? And <clears> they <throat> talk about the strings, bum, 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 bum. And then you see the carriage racing back with Stanzi in it, trying to get back to him in time. And, mm. oh. I just really liked the how Salieri couldn't understand what he was saying, but then as the music plays more and more, Salieri like they start to silently understand each other. It mm-hmm. felt very improv, like group mind. Sure, yeah. Uh, and then all of a sudden, Salieri is getting. He's like, oh, 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 okay, and he's like catching up. But they don't. It's the the dialogue is so minimal, and you can just tell by the way that the actors are are acting in the moment, and by the music that's playing, that they are starting to understand each other. <laughs> Without having to use words, I think it's a really cool scene. It's, Good, it's it breaks my heart. Like mm-hmm. it, it makes me cry every time. And then it ends on Salieri being wheeled through the uh, <laughs> the madhouse, uh, saying, "I sp- speak for all mediocrities." The credits roll. Carla said, "Weird." <laughs> <laughs> Carla, you want to give this a letter grade? B minus. B minus. What is that? Bad. That's well, it's better than average. Yeah, it's I a better than, than average. Amadeus is a better than average movie. By the way, I put something online about this movie, and there were many people who really love this movie. So mm-hmm. I I know that you guys are right in this. No, <laughs> it's not a matter of right. It's always it's right or wrong. That's <laughs> how this works. This might be something that uh, if you engage with it in the eighties, like you're probably better off. You know, maybe maybe it my has best a- friend was here last weekend, and she loves this movie. Mm-hmm. And she's not a musician or anything. She's and she saw it when she was a kid, and she, her dad showed it to her, and she just loves it. Huh. Yeah, I, I I I have no idea. Like, I can't imagine seeing it for the first time now. You know, yeah. like, I don't know what that feels like. Yeah. It, so it's an A for you. I'm uh, guessing. Imagine whatever the highest letter grade is, whatever the highest, and then double it. Uh, <laughs> an A plus plus. Whatever. How long do you think I can sustain this? Yeah. So an A for Amadeus, a B minus for... I don't know. <laughs> Baroque. And if ain't Baroque... Baroque. Don't fix yeah, it. If you'd gone like C plus, we could have said it was for classic. I was gonna say that's what she said. She said this wasn't in the Baroque era. She said this was in the this is firmly in the classical era. Well, I guess you were listening, Carla. I was, just like I watched the movie. <laughs> uh looking at the list, I think I will move it down a bit. Like not not out of the top fifty, but uh <laughs> killing me. I'm sorry, Becky. She made us baked goods. <laughs> uh yeah, I think like right now I have the conversation at number 40. I can't say this is better than the conversation. I have Jaws at number 41. I can't say it's better than Jaws. Um, she can. I can say. 
<laughs> I think I would put it between Silence of the Lambs and Doctor Strange Love. I think that's where it will go. Okay. All right. So, but I still, <laughs> I still love it. You still give it an A? Oh wait, all these movies are A's. Uh, why don't we do a little scene? Okay. Okay. So, uh, Becky or Cynthia Nixon as, did she have a name? Uh, maybe. <laughs> girl. Girl. Yeah, call Let's call girl. her girl. Uh, you can play Stanzi Mozart. That's the wife, right? <laughs> yes. Great. <laughs> and I'll play Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. Okay. I know who that is. Okay. I'm so tired of living in this amazing apartment that is not amazing enough for me. Stancy, we have so much room here. You you can go wherever you want. It's too much room without enough people to clean it, right, girl? Please, I'm I'm afraid. I'm so frightened. I'm so very frightened. She's cr- <laughs> she cries a lot. Again. <laughs> She's very crying. Stop hitting the girl. Look, if she would stop crying, maybe I'd stop hitting her. <laughs> Look, you've been eating too many nipples of Venus. Is that a double entendre? <laughs> I don't even know what you mean. Are you insinuating that I've been eating my own nipples? A Venus? That would be an impressive feat. <laughs> oh, man. I am so sick of this laugh. <laughs> you married this laugh. I didn't know. I mean, I knew, but I was on drugs. <laughs> Where's my pink wig? I, I, Girl. I, I don't I don't know. I... I can't do this anymore. Maybe I'll I'll go to the colonies and run for public office in New York. <laughs> wow. That's a really good idea. That is a good idea. You would make an incredible governor. I mean, I I'm think just so. Say that right now. Are you for are you for uh, women's right to choose? I, yes, they can choose not to find a wig if they want to. Cuz you're the smart one. You're the feminist one, right? That, <laughs> Maybe I'll be a lawyer. <laughs> oh no. Hey, can you come here for a second? What? Here's a pillow over your face. Oh. <laughs> My wife is killing me. My wife is watching Salieri. Removing mask. Oh I'm no! Salieri. I knew it was Salieri. That mask was terrible. <laughs> Becky, you just improvised. Oh God! Did I? <laughs> See how sure? totally I don't know that I did. I think you I was did great okay. without your violin. Yeah, I thought the you were the funniest person, just with the old voice. You were the funniest person. Uh, you win. This oh, podcast. No, no, no. Thank you so much for joining oh, us. God, thank I, you. Just, I just love this podcast. You <laughs> so keep nice. me. You keep me company on so many car rides, Aww. and I. It's like having my friends in the car with me, yeah. and I love. I love it. I'm so glad to be here. And we're friends in real life too. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as you're done with your dumb cleanse, come eat my food and drink my booze. <laughs> oh, I will. Well, uh, I mean, we always love to have somebody who the movie is their favorite movie. So I think that lines <laughs> up and that, that you know so much about the real life. I thought was so cool and Thanks. impressive. Very helpful. Uh, where can people find you online? Should they wish to do so? Um, I, you can find me at Becky Violin on Twitter. Uh, follow me. Maybe I'll do something on it. I'm not good at it, but I'll try. Um, I, any gigs coming up? Do you want to talk about? Uh, I, I thought I'd, I mean, you guys have plugged John's podcast a million times, and and rightfully so. It's so good. We can always do it again. <laughs> yeah. Um, I thought I, 
would mention a couple of cool things happening that I'm a part of in LA. Yeah. There is a group called the Golden State Pops Orchestra. Um, and I'm not sure what their coming season is going to look like, but if you can go find them, you should. They are an orchestra in LA dedicated to the live performance of film music. And cool. uh, that is an important thing and where really exciting things in composition are happening right now. So I think, and I, and I love that that is celebrated and something you can see live on a concert stage. Um, because you guys are, you know, improvisers beyond compare. I, um, I thought I'd mention Shrew, which is an all female long form improvised show, improvised Shakespeare that I get to improvise the score for. Cool. I get to sort of jump around on stage with them. And, uh, I think you can find them at like shrewimprov.com. And what they theater are, do they perform at? Um, we've been at Revolution recently. Oh, cool. We were previously, uh, Shakespeare at Comedy Sports and mm-hmm. it is Shrew and they are some of the most incredible improvisers and I mean these Yay. women blow me away every time and it is my privilege to get to create a score and death scenes and love scenes for them so you know it's it's cool. and I get to sort of I, I play with lots of orchestras and stuff and you know do sessions but I get to sort of shed that and use my improv chops and that's really fun. So. Is Lauren Pritchard in that? Yeah Lauren, yeah. Jen oh, Bascom uh, Gail and Kelly and it just incredible people, Gail Jackson. Okay. That's fantastic. Very cool. Yeah. Well, Craig's listeners, uh, you know, I know Carla wants to end this podcast sometime in the next year, but we are going to prolong it next episode by doing a little Carla's list episode. Yay! And uh, Carla, tell us what we're going to be watching. We are going to be watching the Before Trilogy. So Before Sunrise, Ooh. Before Sunset, and Before Midnight, directed by Richard Linklater, starring Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy and 15-year-old Carla. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you were in it when you were 15? You were excellent. First time I saw it, I was 15. And we're going to have a guest for that. I have my best friend from high school. Since Aww. I was 14 years old, we've seen all of these movies together. Angie Peterson. All right. Well, I'll give it a shot. These are, th- I've got to watch three movies. You owe me so much. <laughs> also, these I are very think, short films. I think she's got it coming. Right. <laughs> short films in comparison. They're like 90 minutes to an hour, to two hours. Well, <laughs> okay. Yeah. A lot of your movies are two and a half, three hours. So <laughs> let's just be clear. You know that I have the Godfather trilogy as one movie, right? <laughs> oh, all three. Okay. Well, Join us uh, next time for Before Sunrise, Sunset, and Midnight. <laughs> the list is an absolute good. The list is life. <laughs>